This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Pete the Planner, USA Today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today is World Art Day. You know, I'm pretty sure a year ago today was like tax day or something. I wonder what's changed. Well, today, we're bringing some high-quality art to all of you money nerds. Check this out. The most artistic thing happened in finance, of course, was the fintech revolution. What innovations have lit up your wallet? Say hello to the guy who's documented it all in his new book, The Money Hackers, Dan Simon. Also, have student loans? There's lots happening in the area of student loan relief. Today, to help us sort through it, we welcome certified financial planner Ryan Law and certified student loan counselor at Student Loan Hero and Lending Tree, Andrew Pentis. Out of a job? We'll also cover that today. And the changing nature of unemployment and securing benefits on today's show. Plus, we'll oh so artfully toss out the Haven Lifeline to Nick and I'll share some of my amazing, completely choreographed trivia. And now, two guys who can't even draw, like, their own conclusions, Joe and O J-J-J-J-G. Oh, man, is he funny. Oh, burn. Oh, burn. Oh, feels so bad there. The problem is that it took him since last Friday to come up with that. He's, <laughs> I, I saw the notepad. He's been like scratching out different things going, what can, 
two guys who is that what that was no oh you mean that's what that far away look in his eye was all about i was wondering what that was in the notepad yeah rough last five days for that guy hey everybody Mm -hmm. welcome to doug mentioned this tax day 2019 the anniversary of isn't it wild what a what a difference a year makes og i like this new thing of july being our tax deadline it, that works out more for my schedule. I think we should just push it back. But I know that no matter what month it is, we'll get to the 15th of that month and OG's going to go, yeah, I, I just, I think, I think maybe October. Yeah, I think we should file an extension. If we should push that to 2023, that would be great. Oh, and you know something else you get to put off, OG, for many people, paying those student loans. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Student Loan Hero is the place where you go to get all your information about student loans. If you're ready to pay those off, whether it's refinancing, lower payments, forgiveness, we're going to actually have Andrew from Student Loan Hero with us here in just a few minutes. But for more on everything in the world of student loans, head to Student Loan Hero. We've got a great show today. We've got Dan Simon talking about the money hackers, these people that have created so much innovation. We'll talk, I'm sure, about companies OG like Lending Club, like Credit Karma, and uh, lots more. We're going to talk innovation in your wallet on today's show. But first, we got uh, some headlines, so let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us today from Barron's. This is written by Lisa Belfuss. 6.6 million Americans file for unemployment benefits only. Only 6.6 million OG. That rounds to zero if you're uh, rounding to the nearest uh, Billion. 100 million. <laughs> Claims for unemployment benefits continued to surge this last week with more than 16 million Americans losing their jobs since mid-March as the coronavirus keeps non-essential businesses shut. Labor Department said last Thursday that for the week ended April 4th, 6.6 million people filed for unemployment insurance. That follows an upwardly revised and record high 6.9 million the previous week. Before the outbreak, jobless claims were relatively steady for years, hovering around 200,000 a week. And until recently, the record for claims in a single week had been 695,000. The number one week was 695,000. Now we're at 6.6 million or 6.9 million the week before that. Have you seen that uh, there's a chart on Reddit where they show like the chart of unemployment since like the beginning of time? And it's like and up and down and up and down and up and down. And then it spikes up, 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 This is a time when, and we hammered this all of uh, last week and on Monday, but this is a time when you got to know about benefit changes, OG, because a couple things have also happened. Number one is unemployment benefits have been expanded and people can get more than they got in the past. And that's retroactive to the end of March, March 29th this year. So if you're eligible for unemployment, you may be able to get a higher benefit than before. That's number one. Number two is a lot of people who before gig economy workers, people who were were uh, partially self-employed, 
many people out there eligible for government benefits that weren't eligible for those before. You got to look at the changing rules and, 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 and do it early. I was listening to Dr. Fauci uh, talking about coronavirus and he was talking about, it's so much easier to treat if you get help when you first have symptoms versus once the symptoms get really bad. If you start treating it immediately, you're going to do much better than if you ignore it and wait until, uh, until it gets, gets, it gets super tough. I mean, we were talking about this on Monday's show about the student loans, right? And there's a option hidden in there, hidden in the CARES Act about paying your student loans with the pre-tax money. It's just, there's so much information that's jammed into these things and NBC news at five can cover the highlight 2.3 trillion package to aid benefit or businesses. You know, that doesn't tell you anything about how to get it, who to talk to, how much you're eligible for, what do you got to use the money on? What's a prudent use of the money? You know, I was scrolling on the internet earlier and I, I also have this, this thought as well, which is wherever there's money, there's going to be an opportunity for fraud. So how much of this is going to go toward fraudulent type things and how are they going to manage this? That was something that was the problem with the PPP from a week or two ago was that banks couldn't figure out who was in charge of it. And they didn't want to be left holding the bag if you gave them a whole bunch of bogus documents and said, yeah, it turns out I need a million dollars. And the bank goes, yeah, okay, cool. You sent me the documents and then, and then turns out you're a liar, you know, then what, who's, who's to blame and who, what kind of due diligence needs to happen? My concern with a lot of this stuff is that there's just so much stuff flying around. Nobody knows anything. That's going to be difficult later on. I think for now, what is incredibly difficult is not just navigating the federal packages, but also individual states providing their own stuff. Yeah. I know here in here in Michigan, the unemployment system is so overloaded that nobody could get in. The system was down. I was helping uh, a family member try to apply for unemployment, and we couldn't get through the first several times. We had to try at six o'clock in the morning. And when we did that, it worked since then. They've also changed the unemployment program here, where if, if you're a certain letter of the alphabet, you get to go on a certain day. You yeah. can, it's it, called the draft. Yeah. Yeah. It won't let you through past. What is your name? Once you get to what's your name, it will just kick you out. If it's the wrong day, they're like, sorry, your letter begins with C. We are presently on D please try again in 26 <laughs> days. No. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Uh, luckily, it's only half and half. But but still, uh, the state of Michigan with expanded benefits, I know a lot of states have also tried to do their part. So don't just look on a state level. Don't look on a federal level. There's stuff happening. I know I was reading yesterday in an organization of artists putting together a special fund specifically just for artists. So if you belong to an affinity group, there might be relief out there from these affinity groups as well. I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to focus on the same thing. A uh, chef that I follow on Twitter, his name is Jose Andres. He's raising money for all the Broadway people, you know, all the employees that are associated with putting all that production together. You know, they've been out of work for a long time. So there's lots of help. There's lots of places locally and uh, regionally. Here's the thing you can't do, though. You can't just put your head in the sand. If you're out of work and it's Wednesday morning, 
guess what your full-time job is? You got to figure this out. This is what you're doing now. And it sucks because reading government stuff sucks and talking to government people pretty much always sucks. Filling out government forms definitely always sucks, but you know, you got to do it. This is your job now. Go through all this stuff and find what's available for you that can benefit and help your family right now. And in our second headline last week, we detailed that the Department of Education had released some new details around coronavirus student loan relief. And you know what? We've got the Calvary today to help give you what you need to know if you're somebody that has student loans. And joining us first is certified financial planner Ryan Law. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Joe. How about you? Well, you know, considering, right, I'd rather that we were all hanging out here in mom's basement playing games than talking about coronavirus relief, but it is what it is, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and also joining us from Student Loan Hero and from Lending Tree, Andrew Pennis. He's a certified student loan counselor. Andrew, thanks for joining us, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you're a guy like me that's used to working from home, so does this feel any different for you other than just trying to stay healthy and, and not be around people? Yeah, business as usual. I'm, I find myself dispensing a lot of advice to other folks about how to survive not being around other people all day. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, you're going to have a lot of great advice for us today because this is what you guys both handle all day long. Ryan, I'm going to I'm going to ask you first with uh, the Department of Education guidance last week. What do you think the number one thing is that anybody with student loans really needs to know now that's different than a few weeks ago? Well, the first thing is that the payments and interest are suspended on most student loans. It's not all of them, only ones that are owned by the Department of Education. So that includes direct loans, FFEL loans, which are some older student loans that are held by the Department of Education and Perkins loans. Uh, So payments are suspended from March 13th through September 30th of 2020. Andrew, anything else that you really like about this stimulus package? It's a huge help for most federal loan borrowers. They literally won't have to make a payment on their debt through September 30th. Um, One clarification that's important for a lot of people to be aware of is that not all federal loans are eligible for this. There are a certain number of of federal loans that aren't. At LendingTree, we estimate that about 8 million borrowers could be left uh, uncovered, Mm. not to mention all those private loan holders as well. How do we know then, Andrew, if our loan is covered or not? Yeah, the best way to do that is to log on to the federal student aid website using your FSA ID. If you have a federal loan listed there and you're still not 100% sure that it's covered, you can call your loan servicer that will also be listed on that website and confirm it that way. Um, you can also review your credit report if you're trying to track down a loan servicer. Ryan, it's my understanding that if I am eligible, that my student loan payments are just going to automatically shut off. Like there's nothing that I need to do if it comes to my just I'm an on-time student loan payer. Is that true? That is true if you're on time or if you're behind on your student loan. So the, the payment suspension and interest suspension are both automatic. You don't need to call your servicer or check with anyone. It's automatically taken care of. This is a big question, though, Ryan, that we've gotten here that I don't know the answer to, and maybe you do or Andrew does. When we get to the end of this, then, are they automatically going to turn back on? Like, is there going to be a surprise back on? Or am I going to get a warning that they're being turned back on? Do I have to call about getting them turned back on? How's that going to work? Yeah, according to the CARES Act, the Department of Education does have to notify everybody ahead of time. So starting in August and September, they will send out emails and texts and other notices that the payments are going to turn back on starting on October 1st. What if, Andrew, if I'm delinquent right now on my student loans, is there any relief for those people? 
Yeah, those people with federal loan borrowers are going to receive the same relief um, where they won't have to make a payment through September 30th. But we're also seeing additional proposals come through Congress and then also in the states, most most recently with New York, um, that could help delinquent borrowers as well. But I've had, you know, we've had some questions for people that are having their wages garnished or they're in that process of trying to get their loans rehabilitated. Anything for them? Is that process suspended also? That's also suspended. Even if you got your tax refund seized by the government recently, for example, um, you can call your loan servicer and see about getting that refund returned to you. So that there is that that major relief for people who are already struggling in a major way before this pandemic struck. If I'm somebody that has an income-driven repayment plan right now, anything different for those people? Those people can uh, recertify their income if they want to keep making payments during this payment suspension. They don't have to do that, but certainly that's one way for them to continue to make payments on their loans while this suspension is going on. Ryan, I want to talk to you with your certified financial planner hat. So there's a lot of people out there thinking, okay, right now I'm not in trouble, right? But I still have my job. Uh, should I keep making payments? Should I send in a payment or what should I do? Yeah, it really depends on on their specific situation. But I would say that one of the things that to be aware of is that you can continue to make payments during this payment suspension if you want to. However, all accrued interest that has accrued prior to March 13th has to be paid off before you can get to the principal balance. So for a lot of people in those income-driven repayment plans, they've got a lot of interest that's been accruing over time. And so for them, they they would have to make pretty large interest payments before they could ever touch the principal on those loans. It seems to me too, Ryan, this would be a good time to get your cash reserve in order if you don't have one. Like use that money that was going towards student loans and maybe... Maybe get that safety net set up. Absolutely. They could utilize that. They could utilize the stimulus checks that are coming out and other programs such as those to build up that cash reserve. Andrew, you referenced that there might be more aid coming. Is there anything at Student Loan Hero that you guys fully expect that we should be aware of or any timeline we might want to be aware of? There are a lot of uh, higher education groups uh, calling for Congress to include them in the next stimulus package, and that would probably affect more current students. But as far as borrowers, we're seeing states really take the reins on this. Uh, New York uh, most recently has announced that it's agreed with loan servicers to halt payments for three months um, on loans that were not covered by that initial CARES Act. So that could be immensely helpful for private loan borrowers and those few federal loan borrowers who weren't previously helped. Which also brings up my my next question for you. We obviously don't want to just rely on government when it comes to our student loan repayment strategy. If I am not covered by this and I have student loans and I'm struggling to get them paid, Andrew, what do I do next? Yeah, the, the first key step is to talk to your private lender or your federal loan servicer and just really understand all of your options. If you have a private loan, obviously you're you're not going to be helped by the legislation we've seen thus far. And, and what you can do is go directly to your lender, whether you've uh, taken out loans for your undergraduate degree or you refinanced, you can say, hey, I'm, I'm affected by this pandemic. I'm not able to make payments. Um, and typically what we're seeing with those lenders is they're offering interest-bearing forbearances, that is, pauses on repayment where interest will continue to accrue. Ryan, I wish there were a financial planner out there that were writing books about this stuff. If only there were a guy who's who's <laughs> maybe written a book or two or might have some blog post on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody about the stuff that you've written on and where they can find you. Yeah, so I've written a book called Student Loan Planning that they can find on Amazon. It's not going to have anything about the CARES Act specifically. Yeah. 
but they can also go to my blog at ryanhlaw.com. And I've got updates about unemployment and the student loan changes and other things dealing with the CARES Act. And we'll link to that in our show notes page. And Andrew, if only there were a website that dealt with student loans all the time, if, if only there was that place. That's right. Check us out at Student Loan Hero. We have lots of uh, free calculators and tools that you can use once you get a handle on on all this news that's happening. It's a crazy time, gentlemen. Andrew, Ryan, thanks for hanging out with us and help us explain the spaghetti. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Big thanks to Andrew and Ryan for helping us out with that. Student loans, man. I know in our basement Facebook group, OG, some people were some people were were angry that their student loans got shut off. They're like, they shut off my student loan payments. That was meant to help you. Maybe it wasn't communicated as well as it could, but think about the number of people who they're trying to uh Well yeah, they just deleted everybody. Yeah. They're every, like, and stop. Every, Call us if you want the money to go in. Yeah. Yeah, all of those. And and by the way, somebody was talking about it seems shady that their student loan company had done that. Nothing shady about it. All from the Department of Education on down. Not meant to be well, shady. Well, there's no guarantee that they're going to do it correctly. Well, that's you know, true. I mean, they're saying, hey, this isn't going to affect your credit. Hey, we're not going to come after you for the interest of the late payments. It doesn't actually mean that they're going to pull that off successfully. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you think there might be a mistake or two? We'll see. Yeah. I think uh, that's lesson number one, not only, well, this is going to be one and two and three and four. This is a time to know as much as possible about the news and to, to keep on top of your stuff. Because if you're watching that budget, the times, they're not a change in OG, they've a changed. Dan Simon is a writer and entrepreneur and financial communications expert. He's been part of the fintech revolution since its inception. He's advised some of the biggest brands in the space, including little-known companies like Morgan Stanley, <laughs> Bloomberg, and a little firm called Goldman Sachs. Daniel's uh, focus on finance and its future led him to become CEO and co-founder of Vested, which is an integrated communications firm where he and his team partner with top financial and fintech companies. His curiosity related all things finance and his unique viewpoint as an insider in the financial industry and perfectly positioned him for today's interview. We're talking to the man who's been following it with a front row seat, this change in technology, the artful change in technology. Let's say hi to Dan Simon. And I'm my dad, Shortwave. It's our new friend, Dan Simon. Dan, how are you, man? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I want to start where you start in the book because I found this, this I guess, juxtaposition between these two pictures that you paint to be a great starting place, Daniel. You talk about you've got these big names in New York, people like Hank Paulson, Ben Bernanke, Tim Geithner, and they're all looking at their Blackberries, right? Which at the time yeah. was the big thing that everybody had because they're wondering, this is eight days after the Bear Stearns blow up, and they're wondering if it's going to blow up everything. And mm -hmm. at that time, across the country, you talk about there's something going on that really is creating this incredible new revolution. Yeah. Tell me about that other thing. It does feel a little bit like a pop quiz, Joe. You know, I put the put the book to bed a good six months ago. So I'm going to see if I can make uh, you no, sweat. No, you're, 
you're right that at the heart of the the conceit at the heart of the book is about the two coasts for those of us like me who lived in new york you know 2008 when you think about it means one thing and it means standing outside the lehman brothers building and watching the lights go off and on the west coast you know 2008 probably is best remembered for the creation of the app store or facebook hitting 100 million users or maybe if you were super on the interwebs and super techie nerdy you know there was this cypherpunk going on and there was this creation of this white paper by this crazy sort of secret guy called satoshi nakamoto and who came up with this new blockchain technology and bitcoin all of that was happening in 2008 too and so yeah you have two very different narratives happening at the exact same moment and that creates in, in essence the world that we live in today i want to talk a little bit about the iphone just because you do such a great job of talking about the early days there I never realized, Daniel, that uh, Steve Jobs initially didn't care about apps. He didn't want apps on it's that phone at all. Store. Yeah. How did that come yeah, about? Uh, well, because the App Store was a necessity. You know, when they say necessity is the mother of invention. You know, it's, if you think about it, the App Store is very anti-Apple in many ways, right? Jobs was a perfectionist. Um, if you've read, you know, Walter Isaacson's biography of him yeah. or... or Anything that Malcolm Gladwell has to say on him, you know, he wanted everything to be a perfect box, you know, software, hardware, everything. And so actually the app store is the antithesis of that. If you think about maybe the worst Dell computer that came with that bloatware, right? That's what he was trying to avoid. There's a reason why the iPhone tends not to get viruses. It didn't do some of the things that users wanted it to do. And so they were hacking it. I was one of those people, actually. I got a you know, I hacked my first iPhone to be able to do different things. Developers wanted in on it. And so they, you know, that was a concession on, on Jobs' part. Uh, but it begins a progress of opening up. It begins a movement to kind of free it and let people in and let people build with that data. And the App Store was, was creating in 2008, became a, a thread of a narrative that exists today. It's so interesting from that starting point, then you have all of these people in this revolution. And I'd like to start where you do. Obviously, we don't have time to go over the whole book. And if people if people want it, Daniel, we'll talk about how they can get it themselves. But I would like to talk about maybe the first couple stories. So you got these two guys, uh, Igram, is it, is it pronounced Akram and Andrew and... <laughs> Everything changed because one of them forgot their wallet. Tell me their story. Sure. Uh, it's Ikram and Andrew. They were working together on a music app. And one of them forgot their wallet when they went out to eat. And so the other guy, uh, the other one spotted him dinner. And then they needed a way to split that. And it's incredible to think that only 12 years ago, that was actually pretty hard. You had to, you had a couple of choices. You could cut someone a check, which seems very antiquated. You could walk to an ATM and you could take out money. And then if it wasn't an even denomination of dollars, you probably have to go somewhere and buy a pack of gum to split it. I mean, it's quite a lot of friction. And what we were just talking about in 2000 and 2007, actually, and then 2008 with the App Store, you know, there is this incredible computing power that just suddenly becomes available in everybody's pocket. And so they stop what they're doing on the 
music app uh, and they pivot, which is a very West Coast thing to think about doing. They pivot to creating a uh, what we would know as a peer-to-peer payments platform, which everyone else calls Venmo. How often did you find that to be the case as you were telling all these different stories, Daniel, that the founder was going one way and they noticed a problem that was seemingly unrelated, but then they went and grabbed that. Were they usually personal stories or are they more stories about people that saw a gap in the marketplace? Both. One of my favorite stories in the book along those same lines is Steve Street, who created Green Dot. Green Dot today is the largest bank serving the underbanked people who aren't typically served by the traditional banking system. Steve had a previous career. This is very consistent, by the way. None of the people in my book look and sound like your grandparents' banker, because they're not. And Steve was working in the music industry. He was an A&R guy. And and they were like, well, what is this music? It's not rock and roll, but it's not pop music. And he said, it's soft rock. And that stuck. So his first claim to fame was inventing soft rock. (laughs) And now, by the way, every grocery store I go into, I've got him to thank. Yes, Steve Street. So he takes his payout from the music industry and he has this great idea, which is credit cards for teenagers. Imagine the card. It's got stamped with like kids with beanie caps and and skateboards on it. And he thinks this is going to be marvelous. And it doesn't sell. And weeks and weeks go by and not a single card is is sold. Eventually, the sales of the card starts picking up. And much to his chagrin at the time, it wasn't teenagers at all who wanted a cool brand of prepaid credit card. It was 50-year-old African-American men. It was 40-year-old Latino men. Uh, it was workers from the local building site. And so he starts watching this and he realizes he's created a product for an entire market. Kids could not care about this whatsoever. But who really does want a prepaid credit card are people who are being excluded from the traditional financial system. And so now they have an opportunity. They go into a 7-Eleven, they put $500 down, they get this credit card. That's a great example of an entrepreneur, and it's a marvelous story, but he never sold a single credit card to a, <laughs> to a teenager. That's incredible. And I wonder, as I sit here and I listen to you, Daniel, banks could be right on top of this. There's the whole banking industry seems like they already have technology. They have technology departments. Why is it somebody with this very personal problem versus the banking institution, which already has, you know, you'd think would be on top of this? Are you asking why did banks not spot these opportunities? Exactly. There's several answers to that. To really understand it, you have to go back to 2008. In 2008, the banks thought they learned a lesson. And the lesson that they thought they learned was when we try and get too far down the creditworthiness spectrum, when we start lending to segments or doing banking services to the offering banking services to segments of the market that are lower than our high net worth customers. And when we get too creative, too innovative with our construction of funky assets like credit default swaps, then the world comes to an end and the regulators jump all over us. That's the story of 2008. At the same time, on the West Coast in 2008, you have a, an entire mindset from the likes of Google and Facebook 
right at 2008, this idea of ubiquity first revenue later is taking off. So you have these two competing ideas. Innovation meant constructing really complicated assets around user design and user experience. Uh, and so innovation became a dirty word in banking in 2008 and 2009 <laughs> after the financial crisis, as did this idea of serving the masses. But it took the technology companies to show the banks how. It's interesting. I want to get back on that note to your Venmo story, because I think that leads us right back to these two guys talking about how the idea of writing a check seems outdated. But as you wrote, this company was, although it was ahead of its time, they had a great solution, Daniel. They got discovered at the right time because, as you wrote, they were about to go bankrupt. And this idea would have never gone anywhere had it not been picked up by uh, the gentleman at Braintree. Bill Reddy, yeah, who became the COO at PayPal when uh, PayPal bought Braintree. And I think you see this a lot, you know, first innovators, these discoverers of ideas, and then often people who have to come and make it a reality, if that makes sense. So it isn't that sometimes they're the same person, but quite often the person who kind of invents the idea ultimately either needs a co-founder who has a very different skill set or the backing of a large bank or financial institution or platform like Braintree and PayPal to kind of, that was certainly the case for Venmo. They had 2000 customers and even fewer dollars in the bank. That was so amazing when I read that. And I think about what Venmo is today, a completely different thing. Even Venmo, there's an interesting, I don't know whether you've ever used Zelle, Well, and I was just about to ask you about Zelle. Tell me that story. You know, people tend to give the banks a very hard time, and and it's understandable, right? The banks are actually relatively smart. They wait on the sidelines. They see what works. And when they do, they featureize it inside their own platform. So uh, this idea of featureization, where an entire subset of a an entire company or an entire industry can become featureized inside a larger company. It's just turning delivery into a feature of inside the Amazon Borg. And a similar example exists if you guys are following Snapchat and Facebook Facebook, Instagram. You know, Snapchat was the first to come out with stories, the first to come out with stories that disappear, the first to come out with filters. Doesn't mean they're winning. Uh, Why? Because everything that they've done Instagram has said, yeah, that looks good. We'll do that too. Right. Snapchat can't innovate fast enough to escape the gravitational pull of the black hole that is the mass of, of Facebook and Instagram. Banks are doing the same thing with everything that the fintechs have created. Free trading like Robinhood. Yep, that sounds good. We'll do that. Now, it's not without its disruption. Those are disruptive things, right? Schwab went to zero. That means TD had to sell themselves to Schwab. That means E-Traders had to sell themselves to Morgan Stanley. But Robinhood, the guy that brought you the idea in the first place, ends up being the ultimate casualty because the big guys have the, the gravitational pull. They have the resources. They have the customers. They have the scale. They have the infrastructure to say, yep, thank you for testing this for us. Uh, it would have been a costly exercise for us to see whether this worked. You've now proven that it's worked. And uh, particularly over the last week where Robinhood has been sort of crapping out because Holy of cow, they have performance issues. 
you know, that will expedite their inevitable demise. I'm not here to pontificate on who's going to win and who's going to lose. But what I do think is that the, it's about the ideas. They've seeded these ideas, and these ideas aren't going anywhere. Zell exists. We can now do what we should have ideally been able to do 10 years ago. Robo-advising exists. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, I can't tell you what will happen to Betterment. That's going to go down to a very low price point. Free trading. That idea is, is here to stay. So the people that bring you the ideas inevitably fail to disrupt. And I've said this a lot. I think everybody expects a story of disruption to be like Netflix and Blockbuster. Everyone loves a David Goliath story, right? Everybody wants every one of these to be, you know, JP Morgan is Kodak and, you know, Betterman digital camera. But unfortunately, for every one of those stories, they build a better mousetrap and they fail because they haven't got the scale. They can't get the critical mass. And it's an easy enough idea. It doesn't have a patent or a competitive moat around it. Uh, in doing so, the incumbents become fundamentally changed. There's another storyline here that I'd like to broach just before we uh, say goodbye, which is in the second chapter, you talk about Prosper versus Lending Club. And the story kind of reminds me, Daniel, of uh, the art of war and the best battles, the one that's never fought, because in that battle, the founder of Lending Club sees that the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to become a problem. And I wonder for how many of these companies that you talk about is intervention by government entities an issue? Yeah, it's a huge issue, especially in the United States. It's funny, Renault Laplanche is the name of that guy, and he's emailing me as we talk. Um, you know, I've actually stayed close and become very good friends. You know, what a fascinating guy. Totally wasn't, like, like so many of the people in this book, totally wasn't out of finance. Literally, technologist, one day he just gets a bill, a credit card statement, and he's like, I lend this to you at 2% and you give it back to me, you know, this unfairness uh, of the disparity between uh, what you borrowed money from me at and what you lent it to me at was offensive. And it was that sense of umbrage that caused him to create a lending club. But I also love the fact too, that he saw that he needed help and even going to Facebook and saying, Hey, how can I partner with these other people? I thought was brilliant, but obviously most brilliant back to what you're addressing was no, I, I, the regulatory thing is important. I want to make yeah. sure we dwell on it. It's a very tough regulatory environment in this country. If you want to start a bank, you know, there are no less than 70 regulators that potentially you have to work with when you factor in the 50 individual state regulators. Some would argue that that regulatory complexity goes beyond the necessary amount of security and actually throttles innovation and plays very much into the hands of the incumbents and makes it very, very difficult for fintechs to succeed. And this is true. If you look at the European neobanks that are trying to make their way over here right now, N26, Monzo, and uh, Revolut, you know, they're all partnering with existing banks. They, they can't do it on their own. And I think there is a larger thing here. So, so the, the, the storyline on Renault is he's up against Prosper. He has to make a decision about whether to work with regulators or not. He would have been well within his right to say, there isn't an existing set of regulation for this. I'm just going to go ahead. 
Instead, he puts it on pause, works with the regulators, and it turns out to be the right decision because shortly after that, the regulators put Prosper on pause, set that company back a year, and it was his decision to engage rather than take this kind of David and Goliath, as I say, this outsider posture that enabled him. He played the inside game. Yeah, he did the same thing yeah. with, with, with something like Ken Lin from Credit Karma, who you know had to persuade the existing credit bureaus to let him work with them. I think the larger takeaway for anyone looking to disrupt any industry, you can push against an industry, but don't expect it not to push back. And if you're going to take on incumbents and you're going to openly say that you're going to disrupt the status quo, there's going to be a huge number of entrenched interests stacked against you. A guy called Charlie Schrem, he was the CEO of the first Bitcoin exchange called BitInstant. He went to jail for his involvement in the Silk Road, but he contends that it was the money transfer authorities, the or the money transfer license holders, I should say, people like Western Union and MoneyGram, who really conspired with the regulators to shut down his Bitcoin exchange. Put him away. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what I, because, and I don't know if it's that I love fintech or I love seeing these big institutions meet innovators. And like you said, it's not David versus Goliath. that doesn't always end happily, but man, is it, it it's, it's been a page turner. The, the book is called the money hackers. And I'm assuming Daniel, we can get it everywhere. Correct. You absolutely can. The quickest and easiest place to get it is Amazon. If you just uh, search Amazon for the money hackers, uh, you can order it today. Well, and I need to ask you another question, which is you always have so much going on as I have been following your career. I have to ask, you talked about, you know, you put this, this book to bed a few months ago. Now you're talking about it with people like me. What's next for you? Where is your lens going to shine next? Uh, well, in the very short term, I'm going to be sharpening sticks in my bunker in New Jersey. (laughs) As all of us, right? But assuming I don't end up as a sort of Mad Max warlord controlling the water supply, my next area, I think, you know, for a book in particular, the thing that I've always been fascinated about is small business. I'm a small business owner myself. I'm an entrepreneur. We actually have a small business crisis going on in this country right now small business formation, which is, by the way, the engine of so much of our national growth and our employment is at pretty much all-time lows. Right. I kind of want to get to the bottom of why, and I want to try and encourage people to make that leap and reignite that entrepreneurial spark in people. I can't wait to read about that, but um, I also can't wait because I'm only halfway through the Money Hackers to finish this one. Daniel, yeah, you got to finish this. Yeah, absolutely. There's some, there's some other good stories in there for you to read. <laughs> I can't wait. And by the way, for anybody who is on their commute or walking the dog, we've got you covered. We'll have a link to the Money Hackers on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Daniel, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for telling us stories about the Money Hackers. Joe, thanks so much for having me. Hey, trivia fans, it's your old pal, Neighbor Doe, and I've been thinking, Doe? Oh, for God's sakes, Joe, doesn't anybody proofread these scripts? There's no H at the end of my name. All right, take two. 
Hey, trivia fans, it's your old pal, neighbor Doug, and I've been thinking we should think bigger with our art to celebrate World Art Day. Dream big, I say. I'm not going to limit my craft to just these yahoos in the basement. Time to take a stand and get it out to the world, you know? And what's bigger than a huge sidewalk chalk drawing in the driveway? Cost? Ha, just the price of chalk. But benefit? Huge! It's a huge lift in the spirit around the neighborhood, at least, because someone put the word out on Facebook. Okay, could have been me, but it doesn't matter. People are already starting to gather. Don't worry, they're all at least six feet apart. Hashtag social distancing. Now, before this artist shares the nature of his genius masterpiece, how about you think over today's trivia, which is this. What prolific inventor and painter, you know, besides me, was born on this date back in 1452? Wait, isn't that the year Joe was born? Ah, doesn't matter. I'll be back with your answer faster than you can say, Otzi Fotzi. Well, you heard Andrew here earlier, but big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Student Loan Hero is the place to go when you're ready to pay off your student loans. And if you're somebody who is lucky enough to have an essential job or a job where you feel very comfortable your paycheck is going to last, maybe it is time to get that student loan paid off. Whether it's refinancing the loan, if you don't have one of the government loans that Andrew and Ryan talked about earlier, or you're looking to lower your payments once again, because you don't have one of those loans that Andrew and Ryan talked about earlier, or you're looking at overall forgiveness. And we talked a little bit about that earlier, but even parent plus loan forgiveness is possible. There's a blog post on that at student loan hero. So between must reads, calculators, quizzes, products, student loans in general, been talking to Brian over at student loan hero. It has been a robust time for them. OG as people look to decrease their payments, get their loans paid off, Get their financial house in order. Studentloanhero.com, the place to go for all your student loan needs. Hey, 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 trivia fans. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here. Apologize about that age rip on Joe earlier. (laughs) No, not. Everyone knows he was born sometime later than 1452. Maybe around the time the combustion engine came around. (laughs) Am I right? But... As for my masterpiece you're all wondering about, I've outlined everything. And I got to say, not to brag, but the driveway, sidewalk, chalk project really coming along. So many colors and lines and smudges. I call my drawing happiness. And frankly, I'm not at all surprised the kudos I'm getting for it. Why, so far, they've only had Nancy Papworth's drawings down the street. Between us, I think that seven-year-old is total hack. She doesn't know what she's doing. Stick figures, Nancy, come on. It's the renaissance. Keep up. But luckily, art-loving neighbors, here comes old Doug to the rescue. The mailman just called me the next Michelangelo. Hey, mailman. I'm an artist, not a ninja turtle. Nerd. Get a grip. Respect artists and their art people. Stackers, you are not going to believe this drawing. Here's what I'll do. We'll have Gertrude post this in basement Facebook group, and you're going to be blown away. Blown away, I tell you. 
I need to get back to finish it, though. Uh, an artist is never truly done, but you know, got to put on a couple of final touches. So here's your art. Today's trivia answer. The question was, what prolific inventor and painter born on this date in 1452? Ah, if you guessed Leonardo da Vinci, you'd be right. Hey, if Mailman's going to compare me to one of the Ninja Turtles, why not Leonardo? He's the cool one. You know, not that I know or anything. I mean, I don't know about any of the turtles or I don't watch the Ninja Turtles, at least not daily. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, not every hour. I don't watch it every hour or anything. I, I got to go, though. See ya. You know, OG, that during this time, fintech inventors have not stopped as they're watching the banking system uh, try to get underneath all of these business loans. You know there's people out there innovating today, right now. I mean, you have to believe it. I mean, you have to believe that there's just tons of people out there trying to solve this problem from a lot of different ways. Medical professionals are trying to fix it from a vaccine standpoint. Sure, companies are probably trying to figure out how to profit from it. Of course they are. Doctors and nurses are daily trying to figure out how to treat the disease and how to stop the spread of it. But then there's all the financial side of things too. And there's people out there trying to solve unemployment stuff. You see all the government intervention like we just talked about. Everybody out there is trying to attack this problem. I believe strongly in the collective wisdom of everybody. And, you know, we'll get past all this. But um, I, I don't know what to say about it. I, I It sucks. I don't like being kind of stuck at home like everybody else does. But um, such strong faith in the future that this will be such a non-event in 10 years from now. We're going to look back. I was thinking about like the 2008 recession happened kind of middle of my career so far <laughs> might be the quarter the first quarter of my career someday, but the middle of it, I remember thinking about every day, just how much of a beating that was just day after day after day. And then I thought about the actual time frame of it. You know, Lehman went under in September, the bottom of the S and P was March. It was about six months by May of 2009. The market was certainly on a, on an uptick. I can't remember when it kind of got back to even money. I feel like the following December was about the time, but things were kind of looking up after that. And we put all that together and we go, we say, oh, that was the recession in 2008. That whole six month thing of every day getting your face kicked in turns into one, one line item in the history of, of mankind. And I think this will be the same thing. Every day we're getting our face kicked in. We're not getting any good news. It's just, guess what? More people are sick. More people are dying. Another 30 days at home, you know, dot, 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 we'll get through it. And then it's going to be a line item in America, in the world history. Oh, remember that thing? That was, that was crazy. Yeah. Be of good cheer. It is, it is always times like now when you see incredible innovation though. It's always during these downturns. I remember uh, IBM laying off a ton of people in the 1990s and you look at a lot of these tech firms now and you see that, uh, a lot of tech firms came from the demise of the big giant yeah. IBM at that time. Absolutely. So and we're going to, we're going to see, I mean, imagine what does this do? What does coronavirus do to brick and mortar banking? Like, I think even more than ever, you're going to see online banking just explode. It already is a huge part of our life, but I think that whatever remnants are left of brick and mortar banking quickly. Do you think uh, that they keep holding checks for 
15 days, yes. even though they know yes. that they, it was deposited. Even though they and, don't have uh, to? Yes. You know why? Do you think they, do you think it make it impossible to transfer money despite the fact that I can Venmo you a hundred million dollars on my yes. phone? Absolutely. And- you know why? Because <laughs> bankers are not your friends. That's why. Oh. Okay. Yes. Because, because your bank. try to be. Yes. I but, told him that the last time I was in there. I thought we were friends. No, no, no. He was going through all this stuff because this is well chronicled. We were having an issue on, on Twitter. We talked about this. And so I had to, you know, play the move money around game to make payroll for the business, the podcast business. And, and after all the dust settled, I wanted my money back. So I, had, I went to the bank and I, I said, well, I went online and I tried to wire it. You couldn't wire it online. So I had to go to the bank. The guy's sitting there and he's like typing stuff. He goes, oh, uh, thank you for being a customer for so long. I'm like, yep, sure. And he says, uh, oh, it says here you don't have a credit card. You know, a credit card would really help in times like these. You know, if you, you know, you kind of, I said, no, we're not doing that. Oh, uh, have you thought about a savings account? I said, listen, you and I are not friends. <laughs> Can we just get to this? Like, I don't want to be here. You're forcing me to be here to fill out this paperwork. Yeah. That I could do electronically at many other places. We can be friends later after this all passes, but just can you get through this for me? He wants to pretend he's my friend until he sells me a credit card. I remember when I was at the Citadel, our sergeant was being very nice to us, Mr. Foster. Everything was getting pretty relaxed one day as we're standing out on the line waiting to form up so we can go march to breakfast. And uh, some freshman went a little too far and Mr. Foster just snapped and got in his face and goes, I might be a nice guy but I ain't your buddy. And I, and I I think about that every time I'm in one of those business dealings, that's not my buddy. Might be a nice guy, but I ain't your buddy. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. OG, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Hand sanitizer. And bankers who are your buddy. Yeah, right. It's your loved ones and your time is the answer, but that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so you have so much more time to spend with your loved ones. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. It's a super simple application. It's all online. You get an instant coverage decision. Talking, by the way, about Dan Simon and FinTech. Here's some FinTech, uh, some InsureTech. Their prices are affordable and policies issued by more than 160-year-old insurer Mass Mutual. Let's say hi to Nick today. Throw out the lifeline to him. Hey, Nick. Hey, Joe and OG, and honestly, hopefully Paul Pant. Uh, I'm here doing my best Lynn Penzo and socially isolating myself, and my mind started to wander. I was thinking, given the recent hit in the stock market, I might stop Roth IRA contributions and in turn increase my 403B contribution. This would mean 22% more dollars in the market for the same take-home paycheck. Is this a legit strategy during recovery periods or is this market timing by another name? Uh, thanks much in advance. Thanks, Nick, for the question. And you may not know this, but uh, Paula has been resting a lot lately. She recovers from coronavirus. We do have her scheduled to be on the show here on Friday, but we wanted to answer your question ASAP. That stands for as soon as possible. <laughs> this is the show where we don't use jargon. That's right. We gotta, Try not to. Yes. So, I'm confused by what he's trying to do. Hey, I'd like to stop saving money in this pocket to start saving money in this pocket. Is that kind of what he said? I mean, he was saying something about an after tag. I guess his 403B is pre-tax. Maybe that's kind of what he was saying is I can save a little bit more because it's pre-tax. Maybe is kind of what he was getting at. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, he's he's just trying to put more money, find ways to put more money in now. So because of his tax bracket situation for him, he thinks it's going to be 22% more money right now because Roth IRAs, guys, just explain what Nick's trying to do to everybody out there. Because he's going from that after-tax that OG talked about to pre-tax, he's getting more money to invest because he's not using money that's already had withholding taken out. So what do you think, OG? It's not market timing because he's not talking about, say, investing or not investing. It's definitely not that. I think it's an awful lot of work because I can't prove this. And I'm also kind of too lazy to do the calculation. So this is just me thinking about it, talking out loud about it. I feel like having the tax-free money is going to be better, even though it's less of it. Because the tax deferral number would be slightly less. I don't know. Just Why don't you just save more money? You know, I mean, <laughs> do your Roth and do more in your 403B, dude. That's what I would do. Like, you're not spending any money. You're not going anywhere. All you need is like Costco delivery and, and toilet paper. My So <laughs> my thought process is I don't know what this does long term to his what we call the tax triangle, which is money that uh, that is in different taxable locations. I mean, how much money does this end up changing for him in a tax-free pot of money versus a pre-tax pot of money? If he's not maxing out his 403B and he is maxing out his Roth, he probably already has, is going to have a bunch that's in a tax-free spot. I don't know what his goal is for the long term. If he can get away with that and have it work for him in the long term, maybe. Well, yeah. And, and, and are we talking about like a few hundred bucks here or there? I mean, how long do we do this for? During the recovery, whatever in the hell that's supposed to mean. Well, I'm going to do it for the next six months. So what does that save you? If you stop your Roth for the rest of the year. Here's the problem with Roth contributions, though. Once the year goes away, you've lost it. It's over. Once you get to April of next year, probably not July like we got this year, but once you get to April of this year, or I'm sorry, next year, 2020 opportunities are gone. And if you're not maxing out your 403B already, I don't know why you wouldn't just stretch and try to get it done. Cash flow be damned. (laughs) Try to stretch it instead of uh, nickel and diamond. I I, I just, it seems like an awful lot of work or maybe not a lot of benefit. Somebody else do the math and let me know how this works out. (laughs) So, So we can do all my math work for me. That would be that would be fantastic. But I do agree with you doing the cost benefit analysis. I think that's the big picture before you make some of these fairly esoteric moves makes a lot of sense to me. Like, why am I going to make a move that's going to increase my ability by four bucks or whatever, whatever the number? Here's here's what make the big difference. I'm on record to have said many times your life expands into the money that you let it expand into. We've all had experiences, and I don't care where you are in your career, where you made $10,000 one year. You said, gosh, if I can make 20, I'll be set. You made 20 the next year. You said, gosh, if I can make 50 someday, I'll be set. Then you make 50. Then you say, gosh, if I can make 80, then I'll be set. And then you make 80, and then you're never good enough. You weren't any happier at $80,000 than you were at 50000 Then you'll be at 150000 You just have more stuff and a, probably a bigger place to store it all in. So if you're able to stop that acceleration of lifestyle any point in time, you don't have to stop it forever. You just have to stop it once and capture those gains, 
capture that extra cash flow and invest it instead. And then from that point on, accelerate, you're going to be way better off. So my challenge is rather than trying to nickel and dime this, should I kind of try to squeeze another drop of juice out of this orange? Why not figure out a way to save an extra $100 a month in your 403B or $500 a month in your 403B from now on? Because if you can do it today... And when you go back to, quote, normal living where you're going out and you're spending money at the movies and you're going to the bar and you're going out to dinner, whatever, if you're already established in the habit of saving that extra or investing that extra money, you won't be able to do that. Frankly, let me tell you something. This is how this ends. We don't go out again a lot. It will take a long time to ramp that back up again because everyone is going to be super nervous about it. Even those of us who aren't super nervous about it and don't walk around with bags on our head. In real life, by the way, see, I told you all so, right? But you knew this was going to be a thing. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm a little early in my fashion sense. But I guess my point is, is this, you'll get a better bang for your buck if you can stretch right now and say, okay, how am I going to invest an extra $500 a month into my 403B from now on until the end of time, as opposed to how do I finagle this to get an extra 11 cents in my 403b because you know the market's down a little bit am i making any sense probably not but well and it definitely is more than 11 cents i mean if it's a 22 percent difference you know it could 22 be a, cents sorry my bad well 22 cents on the dollar though i mean if he's saving a couple hundred bucks paycheck if he's saving 500 bucks then he's assuming that his tax rates at that marginal number which is highly unlikely and if he happens to be taxed at the marginal 22% bracket right now, then he for sure has enough money to do both of these things anyway. So, you know, that's my two cents. It's probably a 10% change after tax or a 12% change after tax. And uh, who did, didn't we just have a caller like a the last time or two times ago? It's like, yes. hey, everybody, yes. I'm doing great. I'm super rich <laughs> and everything's wonderful. Yes. Like maybe this is the same guy, you know. <laughs> Calling in a second time? Exactly. Yes. You know, I don't know if I've told you guys or not, but I'm in the 22% bracket and uh, accelerating ever so quickly to the 24% tax bracket. When I'm, he gets to I'm go back to out to a restaurant, he's sitting there for with his, uh, the server comes up to take his order and he's like, yeah, so if I'm in the 22% bracket, what what would you order? If exactly. I were, yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's like pointing with your guns. Which way is the restroom? Bam. There's <laughs> Is the restroom down there or down there? I think we need to go over there. <laughs> so, Nick, here's the answer to your question. Just invest more money. I don't give a damn where you put it. Invest mo money. From now until the end of the time, and you'll be happy you did that. Big thanks to Nick for writing in. Mic drop. Nick's like, where's Paula when I needed her? Head <laughs> to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail if uh, you would like us to push the envelope on your question. I like that challenge, OG. How can you save more money? Especially do now. it. Especially. Do it. Do you know how, looks, how long it's been since we've been to a restaurant? And you look at the huge amount of savings that, that people have. If they go eat at a restaurant once a week, you've got some nice savings there. That could be yeah, we a couple hundred are, dollars. That's kind, of our, that's kind of our MO lately as we go out for dinner on Friday night. Said a different way. We have someone cook dinner. We go pick it up. And then we drive it home and eat it there. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, I can't figure out what to spend money on. Things are great. I'm at least in the 22% bracket right now. And um, 
<laughs> probably, stop. probably going to go up. I'm not sure. You got to stop it. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, that's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to everybody who has, uh, hung out with us here. Thanks people that have, uh, hung out with us on YouTube or on, uh, Facebook, Speaking of flex, we've been trying to have experts come join us on our uh, Facebook lives and our YouTube lives. We're going to continue those as long as we possibly can, having as many people that uh, know stuff about stuff. So if you want more on the nose coverage of what to do during this peculiarly different time that we're living in, uh, head to facebook.com forward slash stacker and you'll see what's coming up next. Uh, last week with uh, Whitney Hansen and uh, Vincent Puglisi. Fun times with with those people and more fun this week and on and on. Also, big thanks to people who have uh, given us a review on this uh, here show. This is the one mom has on the fridge now. Len Rocks, five stars, stay calm and carry on. He writes, no panic, no hysteria, just good, fin- solid financial advice from people wise enough to know that this too shall pass. And I like that point, Len Rocks, and by second that emotion, this this will pass. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Andrew Pentis, Ryan Law, and the guys. This is a time to pay attention to the news. What relief is available? You may be eligible and not know it if you aren't searching. News is moving quickly. Second, take a lesson from Dan Simon. Fintech is now an essential part of our lives and becoming bigger every day. But the big takeaway? Anytime you're working on the Mona Lisa 2.0, make sure to tell Joe's mom not to wash her car in the driveway. My chalk art didn't stand a chance against all of that lady's sudsy stuff. Come on, Ma! I was about to be famous! Well, I guess it's back to the drawing board, or maybe I'll just go watch some Ninja Turtles. They get into such shenanigans. Thanks to Dan Simon for stopping by the basement. Head over to our show notes page to learn where you can pick up his new book, The Money Hackers. Thanks, too, to Certified Financial Planner Ryan Law and Certified Student Loan Counselor Andrew Pentis for joining us. You'll find links to all the fine things these hardworking men do on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, big thanks to Rainbows Over the World Facebook page. Go check it out. People are creating great art all over the world to share a little positivity. I've got our neighborhood covered. Headed out now for Mona Lisa 3.0. Maybe you can take care of your own. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Well, so we've been looking for other stuff to watch during the outbreak. Cheryl and I finally got on Disney Plus and we watched this thing called The Mandalorian. more peaceful since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. You were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. Would you agree? And uh, what follows there is a uh, kick butt battle scene where you see the Mandalorian, guy who looks a lot like Boba Fett, is fighting a bunch of different people. This is uh, Disney Plus's opening salvo on uh, what we found out last week was a huge lift for Disney stock OG as Disney plus has just garnered tons and tons of subscribers over the short time that's been around very quickly catching up with uh, Hulu just behind Hulu to be in fourth place already. You think about Netflix way, way, way ahead with, with their lead. But um, the fact that Disney plus caught up so quickly, I think says a lot about the power of the mouse here. With my phone plan, we got a year free. I was not going to sign up for Disney Plus because I, there's so much stuff to watch. And I thought, no. But now that I'm home and searching for something really, really fun to watch, decided, you know what? Let's give this Mandalorian a try. Since all I've heard, and I'm sure that you've heard, just great stuff about it. So it follows a bounty hunter. He doesn't talk very much. At its heart, this show, OG, is a Western. I mean, even though it's set in the Star Wars universe, if you're somebody mm. that likes a uh, good guy going out after outlaws in the wild, wild west, that's really what the story of the Mandalorian is and is and is modeled after. The creator of Mandalorian is John Favreau, who you may know has done just some phenomenal work from originally he appeared in a show called Singles. He was uh, the lead actor and creator of one of my favorite movies uh, called Chef. And uh, was a great movie where he owns a food truck. And then he also directed everything from uh, a couple of the Iron Man movies. I believe he's done so many of the top movies as director, producer. Uh, he just has a great eye where wherever John Favreau is involved. This series was so, was so good. It was just, it was just, I could give it this huge hearty thumbs up. And by the way, if your kids are maybe 10 years old or older, I think it's a big thumb up there too. I think it's just a fun, fun story. There's a character in here. So there's a character that doesn't have a name, but everybody's been calling it baby Yoda. And I've read elsewhere that Disney was caught flat-footed by how much people love Baby Yoda, which after you watch The Mandalorian makes me think the people at Disney must be idiots because it's clear from the beginning of this. I mean, Cheryl's going crazy for Baby Yoda. I'm not sure that they were flat-footed. I read that they specifically did not 
allow any of the actors or merchandising people to put that out in stores because they didn't want to give it away. Ah. And they knew that if they put a Baby Yoda doll out tied to the Mandalorian, people would be like, what is it's the Baby Yoda? You know, and, and it gives away a part of the story. So they had to keep it tied to the vest. And then this came out, what, originally around Christmas time? Yeah, and then demand and was through the they, roof immediately. They didn't have any, they didn't have any availability for Christmas uh, because they weren't able to do it. Calculated risk, I guess. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I got to tell you, ever since I got Disney Plus, I've been watching a ton of it. Just, just. I just read that they cross fifty million subscribers. It's amazing. That's uh, at what fifteen bucks a month? Is that how much it costs? No, uh, six ninety nine. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they're only making three hundred and fifty million a month on it. That's it. Maybe our podcasting strategy, doing this for free, was was wrong. Yeah, I was just thinking about how much what the offset is on the park attendance. So they're not making money on parks. Not even close. Well, I I understand. They make way more money on parks. Sure. But, you know. Well, it certainly just helped the stock when they announced that. When they announced that number. Mm-hmm. Was it 50 or 60? Dude, I think it was 60. I just read that it said 50. All right. We'll let it go. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.